You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 7, members discuss special education with Venus Reeve. Welcome back to OEA Grow Season 7. I'm your host, Venus Reeve, and this season we are exploring special education. In this first part of our two-part series on adapted physical education services, we are speaking with two adapted PE specialists, Sean Corson and Amy Nichol from Redmond School District. Thank you both for being here today. Before we get going into our topic, will you please tell us more about yourselves? And Amy, would you be willing to start? Yes, thank you so much for having us. Um, so I, um, like Venus said, I'm adapted PE teacher for the Redmond School District. This is my 12th year uh, as the adapted PE teacher. And prior to that, I taught PE and health at Redmond High School. And uh, for 12 years, I was a lone soldier and um, have, have had the opportunity to get to work now with Sean, um, but have really seen the program grow and I'm very, very excited the direction that we're going. Fantastic. Sean? Yeah, and I am just so thankful to have Amy Nichol. I've been with Redmond Schools for two years, and uh, this is actually my eighth year in adapted PE. Last year, I was able to get a position with Amy Nichol, and um, yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride. So what is adapted physical education? Yeah, so adaptive physical education is a service that we provide for individuals with disabilities. And um, we'll go into it a little bit more in the podcast of how they um, uh, are eligible for that service. But our job is to make sure that all students um, are, have access to PE. And if they are not safe or successful in their PE setting, then we look for other ways to be able to provide that for them. Um, and it may be where we push into their PE setting and we're supporting them in their PE class um, with their general ed peers. It could be a pullout situation where it's a specially designed class and we have a small group of individuals. Um, it could be a one-on-one setting. Uh, We also offer a swim program, so we may provide services uh, via the swim program that we have. So there's different ways to provide those services uh, if the student qualifies for adapted PE. Okay, so I think I want to step back just a quick second because I know special education is mandated by law. Is physical education mandated by law? I'm so glad you asked that because, yes, physical education is mandated. And if we're looking at uh, specifically Section 300.108 of physical education, and this is in the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, uh, I'm going to just read it verbatim. Um, The state must ensure that public agencies in the state must comply with the following. Physical education services, specially designed if necessary, must be made available to every student with a disability receiving FAPE unless the public agency enrolls children without disabilities and does not provide physical education to children without disabilities in the same grade. So essentially how it works is, uh, you know, and there are some states that do not have necessarily state mandated PE minutes. Fortunately Mm -hmm. in Oregon, 
we do have state mandated PE minutes, which makes this, uh, you know, federal legislation a lot easier to kind of comprehend and understand. But if you do not have physical education minutes, basically for a, a specific school site, whatever the general ed students are uh, receiving, students with, with disabilities are expected to receive the exact same. Um, and so luckily here in Oregon, we recently adopted state mandated PE minutes, which makes it pretty uh pretty easy to digest. And so for elementary grades, this is K through fifth, they need to have a minimum of 150 minutes per week. Mm. And for middle schoolers, so this is sixth through eighth, they need to have a minimum of 225 minutes per week. Uh, And for high school, uh, no minutes necessarily associated. They just need to have two trimesters, uh, two credits of PE throughout those four years in order to graduate uh, with a diploma. So Um, Again, we've got new minutes for elementary and secondary, which is really nice because, you know, uh, for local education agencies throughout Oregon, uh, they're able to know exactly how many minutes all students with or without disabilities uh, deserved. That's huge. Um, I know that that has not been consistent in, uh, in Oregon's history, and it certainly sounds like that expectation of physical education services being provided to all students is something that we are still wrestling with on a national level, sadly. Um, I'm glad Oregon, we have something here in law in the, on the books that lets us really lean into the importance of physical education and the importance of adapted physical education and having the, the backup of IDEA to help support the work that you do. So which students would be eligible or are eligible for adaptive physical education and why? Amy, would you uh, start us off? Yeah, so there's 13 categories of disabilities under the IDEA law. Um, and as we said earlier and what Sean just said, that every individual, disability or not, um, are the, the federal law mandates that physical education be provided to all students. And so the cool thing about our job is we get to come in and be creative and find ways to provide that for individuals. Um, and the way that we start the process is um, teachers will... Uh, have a referral that they say, hey, this student is struggling in PE, whether it's um, they're not safe, they're not successful, um, whatever the reason might be. And the student's performance is on motor tests and other assessment procedures indicates that he or she is at a significant um, difficulty, is having a significant difficulty with motor skills and movement skills. Um we recognize the recognized indicators of significant difficulty are standard scores, which fall one and a half standard deviations below the mean. So we assess them um, with a formal test. And if they are below that one and a half deviation, um, then they qualify under uh, our um, qualify for adaptive PE services. And then within those that qualification, then we decide what um would be best for that student. And some of our students, they qualify for the services, they're struggling, but they still are successful. They're just not, or they they may not be safe, or they may be able to have, um, uh, they just need a little bit more support in their PE setting. And so mm-hmm. we want to keep them in that PE setting with their, with their peers. Um, so that's where that push-in will come into play. Um, And so our job is to just make sure that all students by law have that same access that every other student has. 
kind of indicating that range yeah, of services like you mentioned before. Oh, sorry, Sean. Yes, please. I was just going to piggyback on that. And again, like when we're talking about these mandates and everything, you know, uh, I think kind of the rationale as to why Amy and I chose to, uh, to participate in this podcast is just to kind of promote awareness because, you know, if local education ag agencies can be proactive in their efforts to uh, getting compliance, it's not necessarily, you know, just these minutes that we're trying to meet, but it's the why, um, you know, we have a wealth of research that has shown that well-designed and implemented uh, PE programs, it can reduce both physical and motor delays and uh, many health risks <clears throat> in students with specifically disabilities. So, um, you know, I think while the intent of the law is clear, it has been uh, difficult for, I feel like, a lot of school districts to implement. And um, I think a lot of administrators are in really tough positions, uh, mm. just acknowledging you know, where we're at with, you know, teacher retention, um, post COVID, that's been a whole another another deal. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I love the fact that we're able to have this conversation right now and really talk about why it's so important because, you know, offering equal access to all of these minutes grants all students, no matter their disability, uh, the opportunity to enjoy fitness for life. And, um, you know, I, I really like to touch on Amy and I both transition age 18 to 21, you know, if we don't have students that, uh, you know, just like gen ed that have identified, you know, at least two to three lifetime sports, whether that be disc golf or, you know, here mm -hmm. in central Oregon, skiing and snowboarding, snow, uh, snowshoeing, you name it. Um, I feel like we haven't necessarily done our job. And so, uh, just being able to grant students that access, I think is just huge. Absolutely. As you're talking, I'm thinking about all the things that we do that enhance our quality of life and things that include that physical realm of hiking, or like you said, snowshoeing, uh, yoga. How many of us put this in our world because it increases our quality of life and our health, and yet it's not an immediate aha. It's not an immediate go-to necessarily for folks when we talk about students and students with disabilities and the importance of them having this physical education and adapted physical education. And I think so that's why we have, you know, federal law supporting it, you know, with IDEA and then also why a lot of states are on board with implementing PE minutes. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that we're going in the right direction. Cause again, I feel like students with disabilities, they are dis disproportionately affected by this obesity epidemic that we all face. And uh, I think it's important to talk about it. Absolutely. And I would imagine after the pandemic, it's even more critical how some of us, uh, myself included, really got so much more sedentary and being able to kind of reintroduce and reemphasize the importance of this for all of us and most especially our students with disabilities. We talk so much about uh, the physical part of um, PE, but it's also the mental part, you know, and, and we've seen such a huge um, struggle with the mental piece with, with individuals with disabilities and, and our, our typical students. And so emphasizing PE not only supports the heart, right, the healthy part, but it's really hitting the mental piece that we need um, as well. So Sean and I feel like that's a very, very important piece to, to mention. Yes, it's huge. Thank you. Um, 
it's, it's kind of stunning to me sometimes the things that we do for ourselves and we do as adults and we kind of get our head wrapped around it. And then I go, oh, wait, what about applying that here with our students? How does that impact? Oh, what are they, you know, if this is how we were impacted by this, how are they dealing with it without the adult skills and experience to draw from? Yeah. So what are programs that uh, you're providing outside of school? And tell me how that works a little bit, Amy. Yeah. So um, for the last six years, we have offered a um, bike camp in the summertime. And our our big thing, um, Sean and I work really, really hard on building uh, relationships with outside um, resources and community resources. And like he mentioned, our transition program, our 18 to 21 year olds, when they leave the school district and leave our program, we want them to be connected with the community. And in order for that to happen, we play a huge role in being able to support um, their connections and uh, what opportunities are out there for their health and um, their leisure, their rec and leisure activities. And so about five or six years ago, we started a bike for life program and it's a one week program in the summers. It's for anybody that does not know how to ride a bike. And one of the main reasons we started this program is we had individuals that were at um, uh, age to be able to start working but they were, would never be able to drive a car. And so we wanted to give them access to get themselves independently to their job. Um, we also had neighbor, we had students who had neighborhood friends that were all riding bikes and they weren't. And so um, there were several things there that just them learning to ride a bike, not only helped them, you know, be physically fit, but it also helped them socially be with their peers. And then it also helped them access their job. Um, so we started that in the summer times. That's been a regular program that we offer in July and we've had great success with that program. We've also worked with, um, bike shops, local bike shops and, um, other uh, engineers in the community to be able to help build some uh, outriggers, we call them, which are specially designed, like adapted bikes that we that we use. Um, so that's one program that's been very successful, and we've continued. We work with a Central Oregon Disability Support Network, and they're a huge piece of that program continuing to um, be successful and helping fund what we do. Um, and then, uh, Sean and I also ran a camp this summer, this last summer called get fit. And it was a camp open for, uh, kindergarten all the way through. Did we, we did 21 age. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. through, Through the school. So, um, yeah. And so that was another opportunity to get kids in the summertime, um, out of their house, being able to, focus focus directly on um, their health and wellness. And the other piece of that camp that we did um, is we put packets together to educate families. And so we were really trying to get families to participate with their student or their child in taking health and wellness beyond the classroom, right? And making it a family, um, uh, something that they, they all do together. Sean, was there anything else I missed? Yes. I think Amy's got it. Lifetime, the whole, the um, lifelong fitness is what we want. Absolutely. 
as you were speaking, I was reminded of a, back in the day when I, I did um, more of the adult end of, of special education, we used to do a lot of work on mobility services and riding the bus and always mm-hmm. having quarters in our pocket to use the pay phones back in the days of pay phones. And so it, it occurs to me, there's such a wide range of what you all do to support students because we're looking at the little guys and I'm thinking about bicycles in particular, the difference between a child size bike and an adult size mm-hmm. bike and being able to understand the physical dynamics that go with all of that and the different mm-hmm skills required to teach a child of five versus a child of 12 versus a, a almost not child of 20. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm just so impressed with the depth and the, and the range of the skills that you have to have in order to do this well. And clearly you do. Um, and so it's also exciting. I'd, I'd really love to come see your bike camp. It sounds like so much fun. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. Time. You volunteer, <laughs> let us know, right? <laughs> Always looking for volunteers. Yeah. (laughs) So, Sean, I want to kind of throw the next question at you. Um, So if educational research suggests that school administrators, including special education directors, are unaware of disability law when it pertains to physical education, and I certainly am in that category, um, how might this finding this lack of understanding of disability law pertaining to physical education impact our students? I like how Amy's getting all the fun questions. This is a really good question. question. And, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, I recently earned my preliminary administrative credential. And that was, I mean, this question really dawned on me during that program, um, because really when it came down to uh, disability law, uh, really there was no conversations surrounding PE. And then what I found also just in educational research is that this is just common uh, throughout research. We don't have uh, really any administrative preparation programs where they're really specifically talking about physical education and how, uh, you know, IDEA, like that uh, that federal law that I uh, mentioned earlier, or how PE minutes are mandated at the state level. Uh, really, they're just not included in a lot of these administrative uh, preparation programs. So yeah. fast forward to these ad administrators getting, you know, being placed uh, in schools, uh, a lot of them just might not necessarily know of some of these laws and the requirements, or uh, especially even how adapted PE properly functions. Because when we're talking about, you know, general physical education or specially designed physical education, uh, such as like unified PE from Special Olympics, um, we're talking about placements and adapted PE is a service to students. And we work within these placements, kind of like Amy suggested, whether we're pushing in, pulling out, collaborating with the teacher, you know, we are a service that hopefully because general ed PE is their least restrictive environment, um, they don't need us. And so the idea is, is we are there temporarily and then we're out. And, um, you know, especially if we did a good job. And so it's just really important for administrators to be aware because, you know, some that that, uh, don't necessarily know how adapted PE functions, think of adapted PE more as a placement. And so if you have a disability, you know, you either have access to adapted PE and general ed PE, and sometimes kids end up on that adapted PE track, which is not their least restrictive environment. Often, 
you know, isolated in a classroom or uh, a group with just other peers with disabilities. Um, so again, we're really trying to move on that least restrictive scale, uh, whether that be reverse mainstreaming or uh, hopefully consulting with a PE teacher. Because again, um, it's so important, like what we talked about, whether it be mental or physical, giving students the opportunity to independently participate in a physical education program. Because again, uh, after they leave our transition program, they're out of our grasp. So building those lifelong love of, of physical education, that lifelong learner in this realm of physical education. So, yep, exactly. so you, you kind of alluded to it and I know Amy, you mentioned it earlier, the continuum of physical, of, excuse me, the continuum of physical education services. Can you share a little bit more about that? What that, what that is, what that looks like? Yeah, so um, the continuum of services, it starts with what Sean had mentioned is the least restrictive. And the least restrictive is physical education with your peers. Um, and that's that's the ultimate goal. That's where we're trying to get all students is to be in that least restrictive environment. It may be that they come with support, um, but they're still in their class. They're participating. They're safe. They're successful. Um, but there is support there if they need it. Um, as we go down the continuum of services, we get to a little bit more um, more restrictive, but we try things first. So we don't just take a kid out of physical education and put them in an adapted physical education um, program without trying other things first because that is the least restrictive, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, and so physical education, um, the, the next piece of that would be a specially designed program. And like Sean mentioned, that could be reverse mainstreaming, which is bringing in general ed students into their these students' setting. Um, one of the programs we have right now that we've been working really close with is Special Olympics is Unified Sports. And it's been mm -hmm. super successful this year. Um, it's a PE class at both high schools. Um, and we have general ed students mixed in with individuals with disabilities. And in the fall, we ran um, a soccer team. And in the winter, we ran basketball. And now we're doing track and field and kickball. And um, because it's part of Special Olympics, we uh, work closely with them and they um, provide transportation and we get to go compete with other schools. So we've uh, competed locally and we've also competed over the mountain. So that's been a super cool experience for all students involved. Um, and that is what uh, that reverse mainstreaming looks like. So there's still a part of a social experience, social part of it. Um, they're with general ed peers, um, and but they're also supported in a PE class. So they're getting more of that one-on-one -on -one attention or one-on-one -on -one support that they might need. Um, and then, and specially design could also look like um, we have a lot of the elementary classes that have mentors, student mentors that come in to their classes and help support them. Um, and then we also, and then the most restrictive would be our adapted PE program, which is like a one-on-one -on -one support for our students that are not successful in general PE. They're not successful in the specially designed smaller groups. Um, and so that's when we would do the, the one-on-one -on -one or, um, provide the swimming program for them as well, which would fit under that specially designed uh, category. And the cool thing about swimming is we still have high school mentors that come over. And so it's still looking at that least restrictive. You know, the most restrictive is going to be one-on-one -on -one with an adult 
and that student. And so anytime we have opportunities to include peers, um, we really try to provide that opportunity. And then the other cool thing with that SWIM program um, is that students that have uh, tested out of the program and have met the criteria to be in that SWIM program, they're now coming back as mentors. Um, and so, and, and ones that, you know, have special needs, have been in the program, but they have gotten to a point that they're able to be successful to lead other, you know, the smaller, the younger kiddos. And that has just helped their confidence and their self-esteem and given them purpose as well too. So it's a pretty cool, there's a lot involved with the continuum, but it's pretty cool to watch it go from the least restrictive or the most restrictive to least restrictive. And our goal is to get kids up to that least restrictive. Yeah, and local education agencies uh, that are able to facilitate, you know, this entire continuum, if we talk about a proactive approach to federal and state mandates, I mean, this is it. <clears throat> so we've got, you know, nationwide, there's some uh, school districts that uh, really all they have available is general physical education. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a population of students with disabilities, it's going to be, I mean, near impossible to facilitate this continuum uh, without uh, at least consulting with an adapted PE teacher or having an adapted yeah. PE department established. And so, um, you know, something else that I wanted to mention was uh, the Oregon Department of Education. This was on uh, January 23rd. Uh, they released a memo to all superintendents uh, just in regards to uh, compliancy at the state level when we're talking about those 150 minutes for elementary and the 225 for secondary. Um, so back in two, 2020 to 2021, talking about COVID, so rough times, uh, to uh, 2021 to 2022, uh, in regards to just compliancy measures, I would say nationwide, there's not a lot out there because, I mean, when it comes to just evaluating the, the quality of physical education, it's tough. We've got the fitness gram, um, but it's really, it's really tough mm -hmm. to judge the quality of PE. So when we're talking about minutes, you know, what what types of uh, compliancy measures do we have? And uh, it looks like, according to this memo, there's quite a few school districts that do already have compliancy measures where, you know, we might have principals uh, really checking in to see, you know, what does specially design look like? And are the kids getting the minutes? Um, gen ed, are they all getting their minutes? Uh, but according to this memo, it does seem like a lot of districts were out of compliance because for those that did actually report for those two years that they were out of compliance, um, they are offered a lot of grace. So, you know, thank you for being transparent and honest because now they don't actually have to meet uh, organ compliance with the minutes until uh, 2024 to 2025. So two years from now. Um, so those okay. specific districts, again, they can work on hopefully maybe recruiting additional physical education teachers, uh, maybe adapted PE teachers, potentially even establishing adapted PE departments. Mm. Uh, so again, so they not only meet, you know, federal guidelines, but also just state policy right now. And so, um, yeah, just an interesting time that we're in. And I'm just, I'm so glad that we're able to have this conversation. Well, it kind of leads me right to the next thing. Um, speaking of um, guidance from the state and, and regulation on how we do what we do, I know you had shared with me that Rule 584-225-0020 
from TSPC, the Teacher Standards and Practices Commission here in Oregon, regarding adaptive physical education specialization reads verbatim as follows. An adaptive physical education specialization indicates that an educator has to obtain additional and specialized preparation to teach pre-kindergarten through grade 12 assignments in adaptive physical education. A specialization is an optional indication of specialized expertise or preparation in an area the commission recognizes as an added value on a license. A specialization indicates the educator has demonstrated exceptional knowledge, skills, and related abilities in that area. A specialization must meet standards set by the commission. A specialization is not required to teach in the specialization area indicated on the license. Sean, what do you think of this? Tell me, tell me your thoughts <laughs> on this APE specialization being optional in the state of Oregon. Well, if we're talking about meeting these mandates, <clears throat> and especially when it comes down to facilitating uh, this continuum of, of physical education services, it has to be done by an adapted PE teacher that does have either their specialization or authorization. You know, fortunately here in Oregon, I believe it's Oregon State, they've got a great program where uh, we are, uh, I think that's where Amy went, right? Mm -hmm. To get your AP authorization. Yeah, so, um, yeah, but a lot of states don't even have this. And so this mm -hmm. is, you know, this info is from a while back, but back in 1991, there was only 14 states that actually uh, adopted some type of endorsement or certification in adapted PE. And so even though ours is temporary, it's better to have, you know, some states don't have anything at all. And so the fact that it's optional, I think is scary. And I'm, I'm hoping that in the future, this will become a requirement of the state because again, <clears throat> when we're talking about just the space, you know, we're, physical education, we have balls flying, kids running, especially <laughs> if we're trying to push into general ed. And when we're talking about safety considerations, we need to have a, a highly qualified professional facilitating these services. And so, you know, right now in the state of Oregon, uh, and again, not to mention just the fact that adaptive PE is a direct service uh, when it comes down to assessments and observations, uh, you don't get any of that just in a general PE teacher program. You know, you need to, to get this authorization to, to really fulfill the job. So, uh, you know, in regards to not having it be a requirement, that means that we've got some general ed PE teachers uh, in Oregon that uh, are probably doing an awesome job. But again, they don't have that knowledge, that extra year, year and a half, uh, you know, having field work and uh, training on how to provide gross motor assessments, et cetera, facilitating adaptive PE uh, services for students with disabilities. And so, you know, I think not aside from just compliancy and minutes, just the fact that we'd be able to provide quality service services with a, you know, authorized adaptive PE teacher uh, would go a long way. So hopefully that's something that kind of comes, comes down the pipes. Mm -hmm. And one thing too, 
um, is I kind of had that experience because I had my health and PE degree for 10 years. And then I was asked to start the adaptive PE program for Redmond School District. Um, and I had never done anything like that other than creating kind of our own reverse mainstreaming adaptive PE program at Redmond High School um, due to watching many of our students in PE classes just stand on the, the side. Mm-hmm. Um And so when I was asked to do this program, they told me exactly what Sean just said. You do not need to get your endorsement. Um, You can do the adaptive PE program um, just with your PE license. But do for myself, not feeling highly qualified, I went back and got my endorsement. Um, And so going through that year endorsement program, I was floored how much I learned and how much um, I would not have known you know, being, and, and then calling myself highly qualified. Um, I would not have felt like that was, you know, I was doing anyone a service at all. So I really truly believe there's so much value in becoming highly qualified. If we're going to truly do this job, well, making sure that we understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yes. It's really, it's fascinating to me, this concept that we would ask these professionals to be highly qualified, but you'll you'll be fine. It'll be okay. You guys are really smart. You'll, you'll figure it out. It'll be fine. And I'm sure it will be, like you said, really brilliant people doing really great jobs, working really, really hard to serve our students. And gosh, without that specialization, it's like saying, okay, Venus, you're going to be a reading specialist. I know you know a lot about it. You'll be fine. Well, yeah, I know a lot about it, but how long my ser- my students have to wait for me to catch up to become highly qualified, to have yeah. the experience and the expertise that comes with that specialization. It's it's kind of mind boggling that that this is the case. So um, you have another advocate on your on your side here with let's let's get people trained and do this the right way. Our students deserve it. Yep. And not only really doing it for the students, but also thinking about just our general ed PE teachers. We've got a lot of students uh, in PE. Mm-hmm. And um, if we're just pushing kids with disabilities in general PE without quality support, um, we're going to see burnout with our gen ed PE teachers and they need to be well supported and they deserve to be well supported. And so if they've got an an adapted PE teacher in there, you know, again, facilitating this continuum, we've only got students involved in gen ed that, you know, really do benefit. And so, and it really just, I think helps a lot of our general ed uh, PE teachers in regards to, you know, their job and their level of contentment. And hopefully that also really uh, kind of touches on just retention and, and keeping our amazing PE teachers that have kind of been through a lot in recent years. So. Absolutely. Oh, I'm, yes. Um, in our second part of our exploration of adaptive physical education, we're going to dig deeper into some issues that you all face as specialists And I wanted to kind of start that conversation just a teeny bit before we end today. So according to the National Consortium for Physical Education for Individuals with Disabilities, they had an article written in the summer of 2020, and it said this, a team of dedicated adaptive physical education teachers in the Portland, Oregon School District taught us an effective lesson in advocacy and the power of collaborating with parents and others. The teachers needed to take quick advocacy action to not only save their jobs, but to also preserve specially designed physical education services to the most vulnerable students in the district. 
The situation started when the administration, as part of a district-wide budget crisis, proposed cutting all eight full-time itinerant adaptive physical education positions. These adaptive physical education teachers serve approximately 550 students ages 5 to 18. These are students with disabilities. The adaptive PE teachers were not aware of this proposed cut until Wednesday, June 10th at 1 p.m. My head's still kind of exploding just reading this. So once informed, the adaptive PE staff took several steps in an attempt to negate the staffing and program elimination. When news of the proposed cuts broke the team, uh, excuse me, when news of the proposed uh, APE cuts broke, the team of adaptive physical education teachers quickly assembled with Portland Association of Teachers to better understand the cuts and information they had received from the district. The group then developed an action plan and the adaptive physical education staff delegated responsibilities out to each team member to cast the widest net possible. After the adaptive physical education staff took several steps in an attempt to negate the staffing and program elimination, they received a letter within 24 hours of the original announcement of the proposed cuts that all adaptive physical educators would be restored for the 2020-2021 school year. Wow. I It's a success story and it had me on a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, so in your opinion, and I know we're going to dive deeper next time, but Sean and Amy, why did this happen and what needs to be done to prevent similar proposed cuts in other Oregon school districts? It sounds like it's still happening in places here in Oregon. Yeah, and I would say, you know, it, administration, they are juggling a, uh, a pretty busy curriculum. And for a very long time, I just think PE uh, was not necessarily seen as a priority. It wasn't really even, you know, defined as a subject and it was just an elective you know, uh, and so I think it just comes down to our view of physical education and the importance of it. And so, uh, and again, it's it's just such a great job that, you know, the Portland Public Education School District was able to turn this around because that was the beginning of uh, looking at that memo of when the state was really looking at compliancy uh, and specifically PE. And, you know, that those 500 plus students that we mentioned would have been out of compliance uh, if they would have lost the department. And so, you know, I think it's just a great, amazing success story. And uh, I think it's awesome that, you know, for the next episode, we'll be able to bring in, uh, you know, some individuals that are from, you know, Portland Public Education, the Portland Public Education School District to just talk about their direct experience. But, uh, you know, it really just comes down to advocacy. And I don't th think that this is just an organ. I think this is a nationwide uh, issue. And uh, I think of a lot of adaptive PE teachers really need to be talking about this because, again, we're not just talking about helping local education uh, agencies become proactive in their attempt to meet these state and federal guidelines. You know, we're talking about the well-being for students with disabilities for life. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of different things that we could do, but I really think it starts, you know, at the local level, looking at compliancy measures. You know, what are schools doing? what students are benefiting from the minutes. And if we do have a student in a wheelchair on the sideline for 150 minutes a week, mm. they are not accessing the minutes, uh, you know. And so I just think if we could be proactive in our attempt, do everything that we can, um, we would avoid, you know, having any conversations about potentially having the state even look in because they know this specific school district is doing it right and they have all of the staff that they need 
uh, to ensure that the students are receiving the services that they deserve. Excellent. Amy, did you want to add anything? No, I mean, I love um, what Sean, you know, said as far as the the advocacy and making sure that what we're doing as far as our district goes is is providing those services and doing, you know, doing it well. And the, the other piece is providing the PE teachers with support, which is huge. And he talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, we're we're helping their job um be easier. They have cl- they have classes of fifty students, right? So they're trying to meet the fifty students plus um, individuals with disabilities, and so we're coming in and helping support them. And so if they feel supported by us, special ed teachers are feeling supported by us. The student needs are being met. The parents are feeling it. Like we're doing our job, right? And and we're making a difference. And our goal is to um, ultimately like we talked about earlier, is to get that those students in an environment where it's least restrictive and they are successful and happy and loving what they're doing. So ultimately, if we can do that, then we know. And, and, and all we can worry about is our what we're doing in Redmond, right? We, we want to, um, you know, have conversations like this and hope that other districts get on board. But it's super important to Sean and I that we're building a strong program in Redmond and and hoping that that makes a difference for others as well. Well, your being here has definitely made a difference for us here at OEA Grow and for myself personally. I feel like I've been very enriched and gotten to see some places where um, special educators are out there making things happen for our students, for our teachers, for each other, um, to benefit all of us and to really get that lifelong learning. You know, our job doesn't, our job might stop at the end of the school year, but our impact doesn't. And so really remembering that we are setting, we're trying to set kids up for life, for long, happy, healthy lives. Um, So I really appreciate you both, uh, Sean Corson and Amy Nichol for being here today. And look forward to continuing this conversation in part two, where we learn more about adaptive physical education and how those folks in Portland Public Schools were able to come together, uh, have advocacy in action, and really make a positive difference for themselves, for their school district, and for the students they work with. So Sean and Amy, thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking your time from spring break to uh, to help educate us and support each other as we as we dive deeper into adaptive PE and special education. Thank yes. you so much for ha- having us. We just appreciate you letting yes. us use this platform. So thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank you very much. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.